Tuesday morning. Hope everybody's doing okay. We are representing this morning the great city of Louisville, one of my one of my favorite cities. Secured that on one of our trips up there at some point. Anyway, we are in Revelation chapter 20 this morning. We're just going to cover five verses, but they are a significant five verses. Um, this brings us into the scene of what's happening at the great final judgment, specifically um, the story of two books. And so imagine yourself gathered around the throne with all of humanity, and there are two books presented, and in these books determines the fate, okay, of all mankind and every human being that's ever lived. And so, so that's where we're going this morning. Let me read it, and then we'll pray. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Heavenly Father, we um, read sober things in your word this morning, and we want to take proper measure of them and just be reminded that this life is not all there is, that all of history, all of humanity is hurtling down the corridors of time towards a final judgment, a final end of things. There will be a day, the day. And so, Lord, we want to live today in light of that day. And so, Lord, give us a heart of wisdom and of faith, and um, we ask for your help this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, when we taught our taught the catechism, uh, the shorter catechism, the kids' version, to, to our children when they were little, uh, one of the questions um, asked about, um, you know, what are the things that live forever? And, and one, of the, one of the questions specifically addresses the idea of the soul. And I remember our kids saying, you know, we have a soul that can never die, that our soul is eternal, that while our bodies, our earthly bodies will perish, everything on earth will perish. The two things that will not perish are the word of God and man. And this, this passage really upholds that reality in a really powerful way that that and it's the most it's 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 the most fundamental distinction of christian religion that that marks it as separate from a secular worldview and it's simply this that this life is not all there is that time in itself is a is a is a is part of the creation but that there is an eternal reality and that Every person who's ever been made in the history of planet Earth, of the world, will one day have to stand before the Lord at the great 
judgment seat. And so this is what this passage is all about. Um, this is sort of the, the final uh, picture of judgment that we have in the book of Revelation. And chapters 21 and 22 deal more with the heavenly reality, what, what heaven is going to be like and the nature of our relationship with God and each other in heaven. So this is the Revelation's final word, pretty much, on, on judgment. And then you, you see what's happening here. Um, there's a great white throne, okay, which symbolizes purity, holiness, righteousness. Everyone is gathered around it. And it says, from his presence and earth, earth and sky fled away. No place was too small. Then it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And it talks about this idea of death and Hades giving up the dead. And I think the picture here is that at the end of time, every single person, not just, not just um, Christians, okay, but every single person will be resurrected because both the Christian and the non-Christian have a soul that can never die. And, and that at this judgment, there will be a, a resurrection. And this resurrection will constitute every person who's ever lived in the history of the late great planet Earth will come at that time and stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, a lot of times when we think about um, the dead coming back to life, we, you know, it's getting to be Halloween season, of course. Um, we think kind of ghoulish sort of cartoonish sorts of, of, of imagery. We think about Michael Jackson's Thriller video when that was released back in the 80s. It was like the thing and has all these zombies dancing around. That's not the, not the picture, okay? This is much more serious. This is deadly serious. And it tells us here that there are two books, okay? And it seems that there is one book, okay, metaphorically, that's what we would call the Book of Deeds, okay? And then there is a second book, what we would call the Book of Life. Now, the Book of Life, um, as it's mentioned here, um, is familiar to us probably. We've heard about it before. We've been reading about it in Revelation. And in that Book of Life are the names, okay, of all of God's people, um, past, present, and future, okay? Or, or, or at this point in time, it was not future. It's, 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 it's past, present. Everyone who belongs to the Lamb, everyone whom, for whom Christ has died, everyone who has trusted and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, their name is etched into the book of life eternal, eternally, irrevocably, un, unalterably. In fact, we read in other passages of Scripture in Revelation where this book of life was pinned before the foundation of the world. And nothing can change it, okay? And so, so this is the book of names of God's people. Well, well, well how, did, how did their names get there? Well, of course, okay, um, God wrote them there. God placed them there. God set aside his people before the foundations of the world. What does Ephesians 1 tell us? In love, before the foundations of the world, he, predopted, uh, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. Now, but there seems to be a second book here, and, this, and, and, and what's interesting about this book is its relationship to the book of life. Now, I'm calling it the book of deeds, okay? They're just simply called books here. And look back at the text for a second and what it says. It says that, that the sea gave up its dead, this is verse 13, and each were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done, okay? 
Um, look back in verse 12, you see the same thing. And in the dead, and then the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And this can be a little confusing for us because we're thinking, wait a minute, uh, Pastor Paul, um, I didn't think I was judged by works. I thought I was, I was judged by whether I'm found in Christ or not, whether I'm righteous, whether I've been declared righteous by him. That's the basis for which I'm in the book of life, which is, which is true, okay? But remember on that day that when this book of works is opened, it will tell of the deeds, okay, of those who belong to God, and it will tell of the deeds of those who don't belong to God. And one of the things that's crystal clear in Scripture is that if someone is truly regenerate, is truly a Christian who has truly been regenerated, then their life will begin to reflect it. Their life will, will begin to change. It will be sanctified. It will be set apart. This is why Paul can say things like, neither adulterers or homosexuals or idolaters or gossips or slanderers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is true, right? It doesn't mean that Christians don't struggle at times with those specific sins, or even heinous, dark sins. It just means that Christians repent. Christians are changed. Christians turn. Christians don't become settled into their life of sin. They're seeking out grace, mercy, and forgiveness through Christ. And so what these books are doing is telling of the deeds, okay? They are telling of, of, of everything um, that God's people have done that, those who aren't God's people have done all the deeds in the history of the world. And these, in a sense, become the testimony, okay, so to speak, to back up the final verdict, okay? And so just as those who are in Christ, their names are written in the book of life, part of the testimony that we can bring forward to say that they do belong indeed to the Lamb is the righteous works that God has, has worked in and through them. Um, part of the testimony of the fact that people don't belong to Christ is, is the fact that, that, that their lives were lived apart from the sanctifying grace and spirit of Christ, and now their works are reflected here, okay? And so this is what we mean by the relationship of the book of life and what I'm calling um, the book of deeds. But make no mistake, uh, what this passage makes crystal clear is that there will be that time and day where every single person who's lived in the history of planet Earth will have to give a reckoning. And that even though our deeds as believers are incomplete, flawed, um, far from perfect, in fact, just wrought with so much imperfection and brokenness, the fact that we can muster those deeds at all by the grace of God is a is a testimony to the fact of who we belong to, the family we were a part of. Now, now one one interesting piece about this that that has become a that that's a point of discussion and contention is that this seems to say, or or, or there's a variety of interpretations about this, is that at the end, look at verse 14, that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That 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 some have interpreted this to mean that um, death and Hades themselves are going to be done away with um, permanently, re re meaning that there will be no hell, death, Hades, once the final judgment happens. That, In other words, 
that anyone who doesn't belong to the Lamb, when they are thrown into the fire, they are sort of done away with for all time. And, and that's a doctrine called annihilationism, which means that th this doctrine of annihilationism basically says, and there's been many reputable people, uh, John Stott, who's with the Lord now, um, is one of them, who, who affirmed that, who, who believed that at the, at, after the final judgment and as people are thrown into the lake of fire, that their souls cease to exist, that, that death is done away with, that Hades is done away with, and that they are, they're in a sense, not in a conscious state of eternal torment. Now, let me say this. There's so much about that view that, let's be honest, we want to, we, we want to believe that, right? Uh, I mean, we wouldn't be human if we didn't, um, if there wasn't a part of us that really cringed at this idea of there being an eternal, conscious, everlasting judgment and punishment. Um, I would just simply say that, and, and this is kind of what N.T. Wright says about this particular doctrine, as much as we might wish it to be true, annihilationism, it, or, or even universalism, that one day that people will be given a second chance and they can turn to Christ at that point, um, that everybody will be in heaven. It just seems to fly in the face of so many other scriptures, right? Um, Jesus talked about hell ad nauseum, right? Um, do not fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. Um, we think about the parable of, of, of Lazarus, you know, and, and how Lazarus suffered in this life and those who afflicted him suffered in the next life. And we could go on and on and on and on. Um, I would just simply say this is a good example of not to say that the doctrine of annihilationism doesn't have any biblical merit, okay? Because you could read certain passages like this in isolation and, and you can see where people would come to that. But when you look at the totality of Scripture, it's why we have to be careful never to build a doctrine of Scripture around one single verse, one single passage. We have to look to the totality of Scripture to bring clarity on these things. And it seems to me the preponderance of evidence, biblical weighty evidence, is very much on the side of the idea the soul never perishes. There is either eternal reward with Christ or eternal judgment uh, apart from him. And as much as that's hard for us to grapple with and assimilate into our hearts and emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, um, we want to be true to the Word of God and at the end of the day say, well, you know what? God knows best. Okay, I, I, I give this to God. As much as that may seem um, a hard doctrine to wrap my mind around, I'm not God. I, I, I leave these things to him. I'm going to follow him and trust him and not subject the word of God to my own emotion and human reason apart from the sanctifying work of his spirit. So that's Revelation 20. Tomorrow, the rest of this week, um, we got some really awesome stuff on tap. The new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the river of life, the second coming of Jesus. Um, just all kinds of goodness, and I hope you will join us tomorrow. Same time, same station, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you that um, you have written our names in the book of life through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone right now who, who questions that, who doubts that, 
that, Lord, they can make their calling and election sure by turning and placing their faith in Christ today. And, Lord, we do want to trust you, not ourselves, not our own reason, not our own emotion. We want to trust in your word. And, Lord, let it be the North Star for our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We will see you manana.